Welcome to YB Voices. For this Asia Pacific series, in our first episode, Wellbeing and Transition to Online Learning, Part 1, we have brought together leading educators from the region's networks as they conduct a roundtable discussion on the impact of the current global health crisis and their strategies for successful response. I'm your host, Steve Wishart, IBWS Manager for Australasia. Joining me on this episode, Dr. Jenny Chang-Wathel, David Boardman, Anthony Marhofer, Matt Barron, Chris Barr, Sharon Bailey, Sean Johnson, and Avi Nanda. If we start our conversation on online learning, um, Jennifer, if I could start with you, uh, given your experience, what are some of the tips you would have uh, for schools engaged in e-learning? Um, thanks, Steve, for that question. Um, I think some of the tips that I would outline is probably that there is a natural and normal process of e-learning adoption. And there are different stages that we go through to actually get to a stage where we actually transform our pedagogy and transform our learning. So I think when we were thrust into the situation in Asia, we were probably given what, three days to prepare yeah. or not even a week. And so, you know, initially it was really a firefighting stage, which was about a survival mode. You know, what LMS are we going to use? What digital tools are we going to use? Do I even have my computer at home and my laptop? I know teachers were scattered throughout the world. And so once we go through that survive stage, the next stage is actually strive. So strive is when we actually start looking at how do we use these digital tools, uh, releasing instructional videos, um, probably still encouraging an asynchronous learning uh, environment for the moment for those first two stages. And then after that stage, I think there's a thrive stage where we start looking at pedagogical approaches and how we can enhance learning with our students. And then we can start thinking about developing pedagogy and you know the learning that's happening once we're over those firefighting stages. And then the last stage of e-learning adoption is really about that arrive. Have we arrived at a complete transformation of pedagogy and learning that enhances student uh, achievement as well as their experiences in the online environment and have a completed unit of inquiry that focuses on learning and the best practice of effective uh, blended learning research and frameworks and models. So that would be some of my tips. Yeah. Um, just one more I'm going to mention is that there are some very important elements in blended learning. And the, the four important elements cover the connections that we have to have with our students and how important that is now that we are a distance and it is, you know, trying to facilitate this remote learning environment. So the connections, the clarification that your students and teachers are going to have so many questions that they need um, that clarification space. Um, the collaboration, we've still got to promote as one of the very important approaches to teaching uh, pedagogical principles in the IB. So how are we going to do that? And we found there's things that work and things that don't work. Um, and then, of course, that conceptual and critical thinking that we want to promote. So those very four important elements in a blended learning environment are key, I think, to success when you actually design a program for e-learning. Uh, what are some of the challenges that you're seeing schools face and how are they overcoming some of these challenges? 
Oh, I'm so glad you asked me this question because I'm going to be really controversial. Is that okay? Yes. <laughs> so I do work uh, with schools around the world. I'm working with a province in Canada at the moment and they're in their third and fourth week. So it's lovely to see their progress. I work with schools in Asia in their 12th week and then in Europe. And they're probably in between Canada and, and Asia here. And one of the lessons, I think, one of the challenges was that when schools went to this e-learning, remote distance learning environment, it was more of an emergency situation where they tried to transfer their entire brick and mortar timetable to the online environment because they didn't have the time to prepare. They, you know, yeah. a, a true blended learning program takes six to 12 months to prepare. And if you're given three days or even no notice in Canada, one of the teachers was saying to me, she was told that, that basically the next day they weren't allowed into their schools and that they wow. had one day to prepare. So when you're in that kind of situation, we do have to default to this emergency remote distance learning program where it may look like the brick and mortar, but I think through the weeks of experience and what schools have been feeding back to me is that that is probably not the most effective way to facilitate yeah. online learning, having the exact same brick and mortar, you know, timetable as well as the same brick and mortar learning experiences. You know, that you, we people, I think teachers really have to rethink what learning looks like because some of those practices are not going to transfer and translate yeah. in terms of student engagement and motivation. I think many schools are finding that students are starting to drop off in terms of their yeah. engagement. And what we have to think, well, why is that? You know, rethink our approaches. Yeah, I, look, I think that's such great advice, Jenny, because there's so many examples of schools that have, and, and not through their own fault, but have treated um, the e-learning environment exactly the same as the face-to-face -face classroom environment, and it's it's caused trouble over time. And we've seen that evolution of the program uh, as it's progressed. So, thanks so much for that, um, for your insights there. I th I'm sure that's going to really, uh, really support um, our schools, and especially those schools moving into this environment at the moment. Anthony, I was, I was wondering if you and a group could uh, perhaps answer the next question. Anthony, Avi and Sean and David. Um, how are your respective networks and portfolios dealing with online learning at the moment? Just from what you've seen in your local areas, um, how are your um, specific schools handling the, the transition? If I could start with you, Anthony, if that's okay. Yes, as Jennifer was saying, um, schools were really thrust into this with very little notice in, uh, in Australasia. And in some cases, essentially, it was coming up to the end of the school term and schools were effectively shut down. Whereas in, in our state of New South Wales, schools continued for a couple of weeks. Uh, and essentially, it was almost within a day, uh, they went from delivering lessons, um, like to students in front of a classroom, to uh, delivering lessons uh, online and I guess schools that had a really well uh, embedded learning management system have been able to cope really uh, much more effectively with that uh, than those that haven't. Uh, that's been a real challenge for schools that haven't. Some schools have changed their timetables uh, but most schools in New South Wales have maintained the timetable under the current structure. They've just delivered the lessons remotely. Yeah thanks Anthony. Arby 
just in your role, you have oversight over a number of schools. Um, yeah, I'm just wondering what you've seen and heard um, in this in this period. Yes, I mean, very similar to what Jennifer and Anthony were also saying earlier. Um, all the schools have been thrust into the online learning situation and, and exactly what Anthony said, you know, having the LMS in place already um, for schools has really been very helpful and effective, particularly if they already had the online um, learning protocols in place. I think that has helped a lot of schools, but across the board, I would say that schools have had different experiences, different countries have had different experiences. Um, and one of the things that um, has happened to quite a large extent was, of course, in the early days, the, I know that um, schools in, in Australia and New Zealand are still not quite sure about what's going to be happening with the November exams, but we did have the May exams coming up really soon. And there was a lot of anxiety with teachers yeah. um, elsewhere in the world, not able to get back. Um, synchronous asynchronous learning trying to manage all of that with very limited as jennifer said you know um, um, any type of devices for for either the students or the teachers and so on so there was that that entire survival mode that went on for quite a while and um, it's been settling down but um, some schools have been able to get on to the situation really promptly and support their students. But one of the things that I hear constantly is that well-being, well-being for students, well-being for parents, well-being for the staff. And that has been a major issue. And I, and I think that that is really such an important part of what we have to do to support because that obviously when we're looking at schools that are wanting to be authorized, they're very, very worried that they're going to fail in some way or the other yeah. just because they can't provide all the evidence they need remotely. And we have to be really respective, uh, respectful of, of the situation they're in. So, yeah, yeah I mean, it's, 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 it's teachers working together basically to solve this and sort it out and get through the ground as, as, as easily as we can. Thanks, Avi. Sure. You give some insight into into the Victorian and Tasmanian DP network. Well, I mean, the Victorian Tasmanian network is a collection of twenty two um, diploma programs, um, and I suppose our community has a quite a diverse range, really, in terms of how uh, the COVID nineteen was more or less thrust thrust upon us. We had um, one school in our network was closed quite early because of a coronavirus case. We had other schools that essentially transitioned into uh, this uh, supported learning from home. We have some state schools, which of course they're under a slightly different jurisdiction. And then of course we also had boarding schools within our network, which I think in terms of well-being raises a number of different yeah. sort of issues that um, schools like my own at, um, at Ivanhoe Grammar don't have borders. So, you know, there was a really, I suppose, a, I think a really interesting tension in many ways, I think within, within each school. And I think um, a couple of points that have been raised already, um, both about the school's capacity to, to prepare for this, I think is slightly different within the different contexts. And I think it was more or less sort of the, the teacher equivalent of sort of prepping for the end of the world. I was packing my bag, right. essentially, um, with all of my books and all of my marking um, every evening, not knowing whether or not I'd be in work the next day. Yeah. So I think those sorts of things those sorts of things were at play and, and continue to be at play in, in some point. And from, from a diploma, diploma um, program perspective, I mean, there is a great deal of anxiety around the November yeah. exams. And, you know, our students, I had my theory of knowledge lesson about 15 minutes ago, actually, I finished it or just before this, this recorded presentation. And you know, this, there, 
the students are, are beginning to ask, well, this happened in May, will it happen for us? Yeah. And, you know, and, and so, of course, we're, we're trying to balance, I suppose, our, our messages and also the optics there, both from a school's perspective, but also um, making sure that the, you know, that there is the consistency from, um, from the IB and the IB's messaging there with them as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Sean. And David, um, your perspective from New Zealand. Yeah, I suppose we're in uh, one of the luckier positions that um, we, we sort of got a little bit of a heads up, maybe about two weeks that it was potentially coming. So quite a few of our schools, especially our IB schools, started to prepare for that. Um, and I know we did, uh, we gave our staff some PL around using things like Zoom and how they could modify their delivery using the LMS that we had in place to facilitate that online learning. Uh, and also talking to them about, you know, as Jennifer said, you can't just transpose your normal day onto an online environment. Yeah. So very much sort of taking a, a mixture of a flipped and a blended approach to that. But we've also been very cognizant of the fact that we're learning. So opening those communication channels early with parents, explaining what we're doing, and, exp and asking for some feedback. So after about two weeks of running the program, you're getting that feedback, listening to it, and making the adjustments. And we're in a lucky position at the moment that we're on Easter holiday and we're able to make those adjustments yeah. for when we come back into term. Um, I suppose we're lucky as well in, in the IB schools. Um, that, you know, all bar, I believe, three of our IB schools in New Zealand, especially in Diploma, are independent schools. And the three who are state are up at the top of the socioeconomic scale. So they've all got the facilities, the students have got the technology and the devices and are comfortable with using it yeah. um, to make that shift. And a lot of our senior school students have actually said they really enjoy it. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're very focused students. They like at the top end that ownership of their own time mm -hmm. and being able to manage it themselves. Thanks, David. Yeah, some great insights there, um, supporting uh, particularly the, the, those DP schools. Um, Chris, Matt and Sharon, um, I was wondering if you uh, could talk about some tips um, to share with primary schools regarding e-learning that, uh, that, uh, that you've got already. Um, I know uh, Chris has been doing it for probably um, a lot longer than, than others. Um, just if we if we can start off with Chris, then move to Matt, and then Sharon. Just about some some tips that you you have um, to share uh, with the with the IB community regarding primary schools. Chris, thanks thanks Steve. Um, I think one of the things I'm listening to and reflecting on is that we almost had a little bit of an advantage because prior to COVID nineteen, we actually had two weeks of protests that closed our schools as well um, mm -hmm. back in November and December. So. We had a little bit of a head start um, in that way and we were able to trial a few things and see what worked and what didn't work. But in saying that, nothing prepared us for what we were about to uh, face uh, at the end of Chinese New Year. Um, so for, for me, it's really, I think I've, I've pulled it down to sort of three main things and I think it's got to be contextual. Um, it's got to look at what the needs are of your school community. Um, even in Hong Kong, we're all in very different communities. Um, so one of the things that we looked at doing was really surveying our stakeholders, finding out what's important to them, what do they value, 
Um, we've got 58 different nationalities within our school, so they all come with very different perspectives of what education should look like on the best of days, let alone when we go into an online home learning environment. So that was a really important piece for us. We've continued to survey our families sort of every three to four weeks just to touch base and see what we're doing well and what we could improve. Um, but also just keeping in mind that we, as educators, we need to make the right decisions for the kids from an educational perspective and not necessarily appeasing every single parent sort of stakeholder. Um, probably the next thing that I, I was sort of really considering about, um, and when Jennifer was talking about the bricks and mortar, um, I suppose it's got to be in the realm of what both teachers and students can achieve from both a professional perspective as well as a wellbeing perspective. Um, and that was one of the things that we learnt very quickly. We hit the ground really fast and all guns blazing and we pulled out a six block timetable and we did what most schools are around the world are doing. Um, but it was very evident very quickly that we weren't going to be able to, to sustain the pace um, and we needed to rethink what we did. Yeah. Um, through the surveys, through listening to people, we made some changes to our structure. We lessened the load a little bit. Um, we ensured we continued to listen. And then I suppose the big thing for us is we made sure we stayed true to ourselves as an IB school um, and we really look to balance the curriculum. So all our single subject teachers are producing lessons every week, our PE, music, art, drama, um, our learning diversity team, they're all engaged in lessons because one of the things that we were looking to do was ensure students had an opportunity to play to their strengths in the home environment just as yeah. much as yeah. A lot of parents wanting language and maths and they wanted to push language and maths and just yeah. keep that going. But, the importance of the balanced curriculum, from a, especially from a primary student's perspective, was, was vital. So that's been a real key to us. And I suppose the last one that I'd give would be around use the resources to avail, available to you. Uh, we're in an uh, unexperienced time where we've got so many uh, e-resources out there that companies are offering licenses and free opportunities and things like that. And I think down the track that will suit them, but there's so much out there. And um, we've, I've been absolutely amazed at the way teachers have engaged with technology, the speed they've come up to yeah. um, so quickly. Um, it's almost forced our hands to take innovation to the next level. Um, yeah. um, so, and the other element too, that I think the beauty of an IB curriculum as well from a teacher perspective is just the creativity. Um, we often talk about how creativity gets lost in schools sometimes, but I think one of the things that I'm seeing is the creativity of our teachers is quite extraordinary. Uh, back to the days of pulling out the cooking materials out of the cupboards and, <laughs> and doing things that, things that we wouldn't normally do in a school environment um, is really coming to the forefront. Um, so they're the sort of things that have really sat um, as the key things for me. Thanks for that. It was great, Chris, that in that the message linked with the DP with what David was saying in particular in, in making sure that you're you're listening to um, to the students and your your community as well and and surveying them and and the like um, not just imposing a system upon um, upon students and upon families but actually listening to what their thoughts are and adjusting the program um, accordingly um, and and supporting well-being that that uh, that well-being element is coming through strong um, as well. Matt. Thanks, Steve. Um, similar to Chris, we actually had a little bit of time to plan. Um, we, we knew as a private, a private independent school that we were going to close a week early and use that time for PD for our staff. Um, so uh, prior to that, the college leadership team spent a lot of time 
seeking some help from colleagues around the world. We, we went to schools in Singapore and, and Japan, um, Hong Kong, and just looked for some advice. And, and we knew that um, a lot of schools were already in a remote learning situation. Um, our situation is slightly different in that we um, are still expected to have students on site as well during the remote learning phase that we're in, um, the students of essential workers. But given that we had a week to plan for that and then another week of PD and then two weeks of school holiday, which, which really wasn't much of a holiday, but, but a lot more planning, we were able to launch the remote learning program pretty successfully. And some of the things we learned from our colleagues um, around the world that have um, certainly helped us uh, is to have a, a really flexible learning menu. So what we do is uh, our teachers all publish a learning menu for their learning groups between eight and nine o'clock on a Monday morning. And that learning menu lasts for the whole week. We've got situations where some of our families can't get to learning on a Monday and a Tuesday because of what's happening in their home. And they really appreciate the fact that they can schedule their own learning across the week. Um, in that learning menu, our teachers publish core learning engagements and optional learning engagements. Yeah. So again, we've got some families who can uh, contribute a lot of time to supporting their children and others that can only maybe fit in an hour or two a day. So yeah. the optional learning engagements are obviously not just busy work. They're, they're really important aspects of the learning that maybe allow the kids to go deeper, but they're not... Um, necessary to uh, to do to still maintain a, a basic understanding of the the unit of inquiry or the learning that's happening so that was something we learned from our colleagues and it's been really successful in fact we've received lots of feedback from our families and that's probably the number one thing they appreciate is the ability to develop a schedule across a week knowing what the learning could look like and and their doing some really uh, creative things in terms of creating visual timetables with three-year-olds that that know what they're doing every day. So that's been really positive. We were also lucky that we had the tools already in place. We, we introduced Seesaw at the start of the year and Zoom. And coincidentally, they're the two platforms that have, have been uh, prominent during remote learning. So we, um, we already had the tools in place, but we weren't expert in that. So we provided a week's PD um, using remote learning strategies for our teachers who stayed at home while we um, ran PD sessions for them with Zoom and, and um, a number of other uh, tools as well. So we kind of walked the walk before we asked our students to do the same. So we all became experts at, at uh, breakout rooms in Zoom and, and creating activities on Seesaw and um, understanding the, the challenges that went with that as a learner. So that helped as well. Um, the other thing that we have introduced, um, which has been really successful, is daily check-ins with kids from a wellbeing point of view. So we've scheduled check-ins across the week at different times for different year levels. So between nine o'clock and 11 o'clock every morning, each learning group um, meets with their learning group teacher and it's a 20 minute to half hour check-in. It's where we do the register. It's where we uh, focus on, on how things are going. Um, the teachers also have another Q&A session later in the day, which is optional. So the check-ins in the morning are what we, we ask to be compulsory. And for those kids that can do get into those sessions and the Q&A in the afternoon might be with a, a learning group teacher. It might be with a single subject teacher or a learning uh, diversity and inclusion teacher. 
um, or a member of our wellbeing team, and it's just questions about the learning. So they might um, talk about the, the learning menu that's been posted and what the expectations are and, and help kids understand how they might um, tackle that. So that's been really successful. Um, the, other, the other tip I would suggest is, um, if you're starting off on this journey, is to involve all stakeholders in, in all aspects of the learning, particularly the teaching staff, um, not just the teachers, but um, learning support officers have been really, really important in supporting students with their learning. And kids get a real kick out of seeing um, four or five staff members commenting on their seesaw posts or, or um, <laughs> responding to the, the learning that they've submitted. Whether that's a voice recording or a, or a simple like or a, or a written comment, it's, it's actually something that motivates and, and has kept those kids going. Um, we've also really relied on um, people that might just have a, a natural tendency to understand learning platforms or technology better than others. So in some cases, it's the learning support officer leading the lesson in aspects um, of technology, which has been really useful. So another tip is just involve everybody. We've made um, instructional videos on, on nearly everything, and we've published that um, on our website and in our other platforms for families to, to visit and look at as well, so that they're understanding how to support their kids and, and know what we're expecting them to do as well. So screencasts are definitely your friend during remote learning. Um, probably two other uh, tips would be to pick up on um, things that Jenny and Chris have both said around the um, opportunities for, for learning rather than the bricks and mortar timetable that Jenny talked about. The, the learning across the week um, works, but we've, tried to maintain a focus on, on all aspects of, of the PYP. And actually the, the approaches to learning and the transdisciplinary nature of, of the PYP has really come to the fore during this time. Yeah. Chris, you talked about creativity. We're seeing so many creative things uh, coming about, really open-ended sort of uh, tasks or learning engagements that, that kids are responding to unbelievably well. And creative ideas for learning that teachers otherwise wouldn't have come up with have been a real highlight of, of what's happened for us. So we're still um, focusing on our curriculum. We're still um, trying to look at the, the yearly overview and, and pluck out the things that are more relevant um, for this period of time and, and focusing on those. Um, and um, yeah, just, just to reiterate the ATLs and, and transdisciplinary nature of, of the program is really important, I think. Thank you for joining us on part one of this episode. Visit our website where you can subscribe to IB Voices. Be sure to tune in to our part two of the episode.